20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome into an all new episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow my guest at Mike Wall68. You know him. He's the absolute best. Joins us pretty much every single Friday, certainly during the season. Mike, it is great to be talking Packers with you once again. How are you doing? Andy, I'm doing great. Fun to be on the show as always. Appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate you as well. I, I didn't exactly know where to start with this one, uh, specifically because it felt like a lot of the things that specifically you, but you and I have kind of been over the last, I don't even know how long now, are sort of the exact same things that plagued the team in this specific game. So let me just start by asking you, is there anything different that you noticed in this game that plagued the Packers in a different way, something that they did different? Any other different takeaways? Or is this basically the same formula for losing that they've had over the course of the past few weeks? That's a that's a great way to frame it because I was watching the game like I was going through my notes again this morning I was doing our show and it just everything that they should have taken care of or at least a, not a taken care of but should have addressed in the bye week you're like well, this is all the same stuff this is yeah. absolutely this is death by a thousand paper cuts like this is it, it's un, it's almost unwatchable because they just keep having the same fundamental technical issues, running the wrong routes, fitting the wrong, fitting in the wrong lanes, blocking poorly, not getting off on the snap. It's just so much. You're just going, what, how is this possible that you keep running the same stuff? The, the conclusion I came to is this, right? I said this this morning on our show. My big takeaway is that you're putting trust into players who haven't earned your trust yet. Yeah. And I'm probably not talking about Jordan Love because Jordan Love has been there for four years. I trust that he knows the offense. Whether Matt LaFleur is letting him check things at the line of scrimmage, what, what kind of freedom he's given him is certainly different than Aaron. But that's that's kind of a quarterback head coach or a quarterback play caller deal. I'm talking about the rest of the people on the offense, the young receivers, the young tight ends, some of these offensive linemen that just aren't producing. As you know, th- this was I think this was one of the worst blocked games up front that I've seen. To be to be fair, I mean, given the especially given the level of competition, and so this was just this was really bad all around. Um, the defense is, it's hard because the defense does worse than you expect to, but then they, you know, they only give up 19 points. And, you know, for me, like the threshold for John Fox told us when I was my first year there, he's like, if you score 20, you're going to win because we don't give up more than 20 points. And so I've always kind of stuck in my head, like a good defensive team should give up less than 20. And if you, if you score 20, cause we used to score 27, 28 in green Bay. Yeah. But if you score more than 20, like you should win every game. And if you're not, yeah. Then you start nitpicking a defense that, you know, they're not great. They're not as good as the seventh, eighth, or eight round first round or eight first round draft picks that they have. Like they're not good, but they're not nearly as bad as the record shows. It's it's so funny. I said almost verbatim, like the defense is just meh. And that's like the best thing we can say about this team right now is the defense is it's just, it's, it's meh. It's, you don't feel great about it. You don't feel terrible about it. I know some people feel terrible about it. I don't feel terrible about it, but it's just meh. It's, it's average. It's fine. It's whatever. But the thing that frustrates me still, even about the defense and just kind of what tells me what I need to know, because sometimes teams will play to their competition or sometimes like the games are just kind of their own individual thing. But what, what I've kind of needed to know of like, all right, is the defense 
good enough and because we can look at the points per game and be like all right some of these games like you said the the offense plays a little bit better and they should win but i go back to the saints game and i go to this game and, and really the falcons game as well falcons game you've got a 12 point lead and the defense can't you know get off the field on three consecutive scoring drives the saints game green bay takes the lead and the saints offense with a backup quarterback goes right down the field and they get a 43 yard field goal now great that they missed the 43 yard field goal but the offense goes right down the field on them, gets in, in very makeable field goal range, just happens to be a miss. And then in this game, Green Bay's offense takes the lead. What does the uh, opposing offense do? They go right down in the field. They get a, It's a 50-some yard attempt. It's not an easy one, but they get in field goal range and they've got an opportunity to win the game. It's like even a defense that I'm, I'm mostly with you, that like it's probably not anywhere close to the biggest of Green Bay's problems right now. They've had opportunities too, where like they just get off the field one or two of these times. It makes it a whole heck of a lot easier. And it's just, it's hard to put a ton of faith in them in key situations either. Yeah. I'm not like, I'm not a huge stats guy, but there's, there's three stats that I thought were interesting. One is they they're 30th in the league and giving up yards per game rushing. They're 144 yards a game, 143.7. They're 27th in takeaways. Yeah. That's really bad. I mean, for so like one of these things has to improve. And then, I didn't realize this, but to your point, we're 27th in time of possession. Yeah. And so that's a two-way street, but you start going, okay, time of possession. Like our passing numbers aren't that bad. It's because they can run the ball against us. So you're you're 30th in the league in, in rushing yards. You're 27th in takeaways. And you start going, well, okay, that really is a bad – like that's not numbers that suggest um, – because what happens, like like to your point, if, if the game's close all the time or if you're winning or, if excuse me, if you're losing – then you're not necessarily going to give up more points because the other, like it's, it, you're not opening up the defense, like the playbook, exactly. the playbook's still condensed and you're not just trying to put points on the board. And, and you know, the offensive play caller is not just like no holes barred. Let's just go for it. So it probably is worse than the numbers suggest in a lot of those, but four and a half yards of carry 144 yards a game on, on, on the, on the, uh, on the ground. Like that's unacceptable. And then I, th- I think we're minus two in takeaways or the turnover margin. And that's, it's just you look at everything and you watch the play on the field and there's guys that are there are there's good players on this team. I keep going back to this. There's there's players on this team that have played better than they're playing right now and there's players on this team that are I I can just like I can just tell because I've watched I've been in football for 3 decades. There's players on the team that are just not played to the level of of, of their capability. And that is, I would be, if I was, if I was in the organization, if I was part of this locker room or part of this coaching staff, that's what I would be most disappointed in. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I think some players like John Runyon Jr. was playing so much better two years ago than he is right now. Um, I think Elton is, is not hundred percent right now, which is part of the reason, but even him, I would say not playing to where he was prior to his injury a couple of years ago. I don't think Jair is where he was at a couple. And obviously he's hurt right now too, but um, there's multiple players on this team where I think we've seen them on the field play a much better version of football than they're playing right now. It's hard to point to much else than than coaching. I know players have to kind of handle themselves too and continue to get better on their own, but it, it's hard. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with the coaching part. Here's what I'd say. Everybody says this when you're on the field and you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Well, you guys just wait because you're not that good. Yeah. And a lot of like on one of the reasons that I wanted to leave is I want I want to show everybody that I'm good without him. Yeah. You're good without this system. You're you're good when you're not and that's something that guys that are in 
systems with Hall of Fame quarterbacks, like when they go somewhere else, they realize, oh, wow, the world's a whole different place out here without a Hall of Fame quarterback. Because, you know, like the 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 Mike McCarthy narrative after the Super Bowl was that they got a little lazy. They got a little, not lazy, but they got complacent with everything because they were just like, Aaron's going to take care of it. And you, you see that fall off in production from other players when they go to other teams. And what you're seeing right now is, and I, and honestly, even when they were 13 and three, the last couple of years, and you and I've had these conversations and I'm always like, you don't know if the staff's any good at developing talent. You don't know if this draft and develop thing actually works because they haven't had to draft and develop in a de- over a decade. And we'll see when this staff doesn't have a hall of fame quarterback, how they draft and develop, how they select their talent and how they are actually able to make that talent rise to the absolute ceiling that they have from a genetic standpoint or behavioral standpoint. And right now it, it kind of looks like everyone's a little bit shell shocked and scrambling for answers. It really does. And I think that's why I kind of always wanted to label this as an evaluation season, because we were always going to learn a ton about everyone, the head coach, the offense, the coordinators, the, the, the draft and develop, like you said, the front office, like, it's just, you're going to learn a lot when you don't have that quarterback there anymore. And we're learning a lot right now. Unfortunately, not a lot of it's great at the moment. Hopefully it gets better. Uh, I wanted to talk to you specifically about the offensive line. And I think we can kind of skip Zach Tom because we've talked about him and and what he's been able to bring to the team so far. And he's playing pretty darn good football, but I want to talk about the other four starters and just where you see them, obviously with all the experience that you have. And if you think a, are, are they capable or B like, what's the issue? Like what's going on and how you kind of evaluate them. So let's start at left tackle. Okay. Let's go with Rashid Walker. I know, I think you posted something this week of like, there's a couple of plays out there from a pass pro standpoint, look pretty good, but there's other times, obviously it does not. So the first three series in, in this game, and this is like Rashid's fault. This is everybody's fault. I mean, ultimately the player has to figure it out, but he clearly can't get off on the snap count. And so there was all this talk, you know, there's like one where he's getting forklifted by a guy who's, you know, I think it was Brian Bryant. This guy's not even a household name. Yep. And, and everyone's like, oh, he can't do this. He can't. It's like, dude, like if you're going like this and then seeing the ball snapped and then trying to jump backwards and go, that's really, really hard. And he's not very good at it. And he figured it out later in the game. And so he, like he's more than capable of doing what needs to be done. But there's a theme with Every, everybody except for Zach Tom, quite frankly, has really bad footwork on this team. And footwork wins in football. Basics win in football. The rest of the, all the other stuff, and like if you go on Instagram and someone's teaching the defensive lineman all these cool moves, sorry, Andy, and then or the offensive linemen are learning like recovery techniques. Bro, if, if you can get your body position and your hands right, or excuse me, your feet right, you don't lose in this league if you're a decent athlete. And so Rashid Walker is, is a victim right now of not having good footwork. I'll just go down the line. Elgin Jenkins, second play of the game, Elgin Jenkins crosses over, which is a Cardinal sin offensive line play. He whiffs on a guy who's, who is by all reputational standards is not his equal and gets beat. And that happens a lot in this game. Now Elgin does a lot of good things too, because Elgin actually generally has really good footwork, particularly in double teams. So when you watch him like do Play side doubles, B blocks. He sets that bumper. He sets that edge. He does a great job of staying square. And he gets movement. He gets to the second level. He wards off the line. So he does a lot of good stuff. But there is, there are still too many plays where you'd say your footwork's failing you. 
and you're too good a player to be doing that. And a lot of that is because it's allowed. And a lot of that is because in the new zone systems on a lot of the play side plays that are really going to be bent backside, they allow the tackle definitely and sometimes the guard just to turn into a position block. And it's like if you allow yourself to create that habit of, oh, I can position block on this play. It doesn't matter. In other words, position block means I'm going to put my ass in the hole. I'm just going to turn my chest to the sideline and just hope he doesn't push me to compress me. And if you allow that to get in your brain that that's okay, you do it more often than not. Um, Josh Myers loses in footwork 90% of the time. He steps directly behind himself when you don't gain leverage on your opponent. I mean, th this sounds like to your to you, the listeners out there, I'm sorry this is boring, but this is really how football is won and lost. Yeah. If you step behind yourself, you automatically go into the next, like your next step. You go into contact, you go in high, you go in short, you go in out of position. That's why he loses. It's really simple. And he's doing it because he's being allowed to do it. In other words, there's ways, there's very easy ways. If you put a rubber board behind behind Josh Myers's leg, he wouldn't step behind it anymore because he'd fall on his ass during practice. They don't do it. I mean, it's obviously they don't do it because he keeps having the same problem. And he loses most of those, most of the reps that we get like, oh, he's no good, are this exact same steps. Exact same. I mean, for the last two years. Uh, John Runyon Jr. John Runyon, the way that they're teaching a lot of the blocking schemes, they're allowing John Runyon Jr. Like, you ever watch Zach Martin? Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, so Zach Martin like shuffles into everything, okay? And then he engages, and then he uses his 325-pound muscular body to move people out of the way because he's a genetic freak. And yeah. what we do sometimes is we say Trent, – Trent Williams is a good example. Uh, Larry Allen is a good example. Oh, look at how these genetic freaks block people. We should all block them that way. And that's that doesn't make any sense. As I, I'll tell you a story real quick, Andy, if you have time. Yeah, you bet. My agent calls me one day. We're about, I probably told the story already, but we're about to play the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. Dana Stubblefield and Brian Young. Yep. Dana's coming off 19, uh, defensive player of the year like a couple of years before. My agent calls me and he goes, he has his, he's Dana's agent. And he goes, uh, hey, if you want to know how to play Stubblefield, turn on the Dallas tape from this year. And I go, oh, okay. I'll start. I turn on the Dallas tape. Larry and, Allen. And Larry Allen's literally punching a hole through his chest to the point where Dana gets the flu and doesn't want to play anymore. It's a Larry and Allen flu. And I call my agent up again. I go, you never talk to me about football again. We can talk about contracts. I go, but I can't do what he's doing. And so like John Runyon Jr. is in the situation where like on a backside play, for example, when he's got a great – Zach Tom does a great job of gaining leverage and doing, and doing a good job fitting and pushing. John's going sideways and shuffling into this and like his second step's not gaining any ground. So when he hits, he's catching that defender. And so now you're catching the guy, and now you're trying to, okay, I, he's pushing me back. Now I try to force and try to walk forward, and it doesn't work. And so there's just so many plays across the board where you just watch this team and go, this is a fundamental issue of you have average average athletic for, for the NFL. You have average athletic talent. You don't have supermen out there, and you're trying to get by on average athletic talent with, with poor fundamentals in a system that is either condoning or teaching a certain way to execute that doesn't vibe with who you have on the field. That's so interesting because I'm just thinking through things as you're saying this. And obviously I'm privy to go to a lot of training camp practices. Now, 
98% of what the Packers do at practice is not open to media. It doesn't happen at training camp. It happens all other places. But just as you're saying this, like every single time, and again, probably 5% of my time, maybe 10% of the time that I'm at practice is actually watching, not even that, probably is watching offensive line drills and watching what they're doing. But what I have watched, it, it seems to be more on waist up. Means it seems to be more focused on yep. hands, waist up, um, where their hand placement is, what they're doing, like that stuff. I can't recall anything that I've seen working on footwork. Now, could I have missed it? A million percent. Could they? That could that be the other ninety-five percent that they do when the media is not there? Sure, Andy, but it, I, 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 I watched, can't recall seeing it. Andy, I watch multiple practices from multiple teams every week. Some of the drill, I I, I call my guys and I go, I, I don't even understand how your team can tie their shoes. And I'm, I'm not like, listen, it's a really hard job. Yep. But if they ever just went down, if like line coach, if anybody in the in the coaching staff just went down to the, tra- the, the, the strength room and asked the strength and conditioning coach, hey, what's the most important thing about being a good athlete? Like they'd go, oh, his footwork's got to be precise. His body position's got to be precise because that then allows your hands to work. And what, again, we just talked, all these guys do is they work on these, they got the mitts out and they're doing these cute punches and you're going, it doesn't matter. The foot's in the wrong spot. Like he's going to lose. Like it, yeah. he's going to lose. And you can't deliver power if your feet aren't in the ground. If you're not, if you don't have a good relationship with the floor, you can't deliver power through your hips. I mean, all this stuff is like intuitive to anybody who likes to lift weights for a living or, or is really in, involved in movement. But the game has gone so into, it's like Matt LaFleur said, Coach LaFleur said a couple of weeks ago, there's nothing that scheme can't fix. Well, it's like you, you can't fix this with scheme. You got to just yeah. dumb it down and, and, and get better at the, the execution part. And that leads to my next, what I think is probably a dumb question, but it's one that gets bandied about quite a bit is that, all right, well, how should Green Bay line up their offensive linemen? Maybe the the players aren't in the right spots. And mm. my, my better take is all the things that you just said, don't all of a sudden get better because Zach Tom is at center and somebody is somewhere else. It's like you're moving the same pieces around and they're still having the same fundamental issues. And unless you clean that stuff up, it probably isn't going to matter. Maybe it can be a little bit better, but it's probably not going to be a silver bullet. But at the same token, you're taking over the Packers offensive line for a day and you can line up the Packers offensive line left to right any way that you would like. How are you lining them up? Oh, well, for a day, I'd leave them. But, <laughs> but well, here's what here's how I think about it. You'd say, okay, do the bodies that you have in the positions they're in, are they able to do the job? Like if like if you said to me, I'm going to put a seven foot, uh, two hundred and five pound center at left guard. Do you think he can play? I'd say, no, I don't think he can. Right? If if I put a wide receiver at tackle, I don't think he play. But Rasheed Walker can play left tackle. He has the athleticism. He has the the bend. He has the size. Zach Tom can play right tackle. Josh Myers can play center. John Rennie Jr. can play right guard. Nelson Jenkins can probably play a number of those positions, as as you know, Zach probably could as well. So I don't think like for me, it's not an issue of um can they get the job done? It really is. I don't I really without bashing their process or anything, I think the that they are not improving on the daily i think a lot of it is what you just said i i I, even though you're only going over there for five or ten percent of the practice my guess is they're only an individual period for a short amount of time and you're probably seeing what they're doing yeah and 
I, I'm just telling you, unfortunately, like there's there's a reason that there's really good offensive lines and there's a reason that there's bad ones. And it, it's it very rarely has anything to do with the actual uh, players. It has or excuse me, the, the genetic talent of the players. It has everything to do with how they prepare. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't think moving players around is going to be a, a solution to much. Like I said, maybe it can be small steps better. And I think at some point you might need to try some different things, but I think you're going to end up with the same results more often than not just with the players that you have on this team right now. That brings me to the next question then is we have all of this stuff that's breaking down. The offensive line can't protect. They can't run block. Wide receivers are in the same spot as you mentioned earlier. The tight ends are all over the place. You don't have any level of consistency at all on this offense. <clears throat> and yet you're trying to gain the biggest thing I could like, I would argue the biggest thing for this season is a, is a progress, but also be really getting a fair and true evaluation of Jordan love. Mm -hmm. Does this team have any way of gaining a fair and true evaluation of Jordan love with everything? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I do think, well, listen, there's, you know, CJ Stroud's down balling out for Houston. Yeah. And so I, it, everything's tied together, right, Andy? So when you say, are you evaluating Jordan Love? Well, who's evaluating him? Right? Are the people who yeah. co are, if it's the people who are calling the plays, coaching him, coaching all these people around him, I don't know how much you, if you don't think anybody else is doing a good job, how do you trust their, their gauge of whether or not these guys are playing or, you know, how he's playing? Fair. Here's what I would say. We're about to play the Minnesota Vikings. Kirk Cousins is a great businessman, a pretty good quarterback, looked great last week, but is not a proven winner. And so he gets a lot, he gets a lot of grief from a lot of people, myself included. If you watch just that one small sample size of one game, and you say, okay, let's compare these quarterbacks, you would probably check all the athletic traits to Jordan Love, and you would check all the processing speed all the standing in the pocket, and all the decision-making, all the pre-snap uh, execution, everything else you would check in, in Kirk Cousins' box. And so this, this becomes the fundamental problem with football right now in the way that we have set up, the way that our coaching staffs get retained the way that or, or hired, the way that uh, the CBA doesn't allow these guys to spend time with their, with their teams and only a handful of them go out and find people to help them outside of, this, of the clubs. We fawn over athleticism, but, and, and they'll spend money to buy technology that measures you know, processing speed in quotes, but they don't really know how to look at that because mm -hmm. they don't have experts look, that are in the field looking at it. And they don't spend a, a really good amount of time figuring out how to improve what really matters like basic fundamentals of the, of the position and decision-making, which is process processing speed and reps. And that's all it is. And if, and we don't spend any time really doing that. And so I think it's really hard to evaluate Jordan love outside of the context of what he's in right now, but inside of the context, I would say, is he, making pre-snap reads at the level he's supposed to. I, I don't personally think he is, but I don't know, again, what he's hamstrung with as far as what he's allowed to do with the line of scrimmage. Um, they're not even giving him the opportunity to throw in the middle of the field, which I thought was his strength. He hasn't connected on deep balls, but a lot of that, like the Romeo Dobbs catch, like don't hold the red line, you're not going to catch a deep ball. That's stupid. 
right? Yeah. You don't if you run behind the safety or instead of front of them, like you're it's not like those things aren't gonna work. But if you look at just from pre-snap decision making and then uh stressful situation decision making, I think there's room for improvement, but I certainly don't think there's anything that makes me say I don't want to pay him his fifth year option. And I don't think there's anything that's telling me I do want to pay him his fifth year option. And I and without going too far into this, Andy, I, I think the real question is, like we talked about last week, my fifth question of the bye week, is this the staff to develop a young team that only has talent and doesn't really have anything else? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like your brain is getting in its own way? In college, I personally dealt with an addiction that was tough to get over, and while my mind kept telling me to do the right things, and I wanted to do the right things, it was always hard trying to make the right choices in real time. What I eventually found out was that therapy can help you figure out what's holding you back and how to work for yourself instead of against yourself. Therapy has helped me with my past struggles and helped make me a better person today for my friends and my family. Therapy has helped me learn my trigger points, my destructive habits, and what positive steps to take to ensure that those negative behaviors turn into positive ones. If you're even thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be catered to your schedule, and flexible to your individual needs. The best part is that BetterHelp is so easy to sign up for. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Make your brain your best friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discount select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing, and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. I think it's a fair question. And I think as we talked about the last time we talked, I think that job description for Matt LaFleur was a whole heck of a lot different when he had Aaron Rodgers and trying to get him back on track playing at MVP level than it is right now with a complete team of unknowns and young players and inexperienced players and trying to get them playing at the same level and with any level of consistency progress. That's it's a lot different job description than what he was initially brought in for. So we're going to learn a lot about Matt as well. And I think, you know, again, it, it needs to be better all the way around. With with Jordan, I love how Daniel Jeremiah and uh, and and Charles Davis and those guys talk. They they always say, I don't know if you listen to their podcast at all, but they always say like trucks or trailers for quarterbacks. You're either the truck and you're pulling everything behind you, uh, or you're the trailer and the team has to kind of pull you. 
And like even in these situations where everything's not perfect, we're learning if, and I get it, it's really hard in your first year and you're what, seventh, eighth start or whatever. I'm not saying he needs to be that yet. Um, but if, if you want to be the guy that's, that's the truck that's pulling everything that's, you know, kind of bringing the team with you, then you have to sort of survive some of the, all the, the chaos that's going on around you and sort of uplift everything else. I think he's had some of those opportunities to maybe do that in some of these times where he's had the ball at quarterback and go down and win the game and um, some really impressive efforts uh, against the saints at the end and things like that. But I don't think it's certainly been consistent enough. Um, I do think we've seen at times where in a little bit better conditions, go back to the bears game when everything's kind of going a little bit more according to plan looks a whole heck of a lot better. But then again, that you have to have the right conditions around you. So I'm not saying he can't get better. I'm not saying he can't improve, but right now it would lend me to believe he's more in that trailer side than the truck side. Yeah. And th so the th really interesting things for me would be, um, how does he act at practice when people make mistakes? You know, how, how, how attention to detail are they in, in, in the practice field, in the meeting room? Like, and how much is he demanding out of those guys? Because they are making a lot of mistakes, whether it's the specific route or how they're running the route, the pace they're running the route. Um, but even if you look at the, the, the turnover, the, the interception, in the Broncos game, they had a look, they thought they were going to get like, he made the decision to throw that ball before the ball was snapped. And the problem with that is Samari Torrey's running the route that Christian Watson should be running. I'm guessing because Christian Watson got hurt the play before. I don't know that for a fact, but I know who I would put there. Yeah. I'm sure. Um, right. And he didn't really look off the backside safety when they didn't have an occupier for that zone. So the backside safety is 35 yards deep and then sees him load up. And it's like, those those plays are going to happen out of desperation. That's part of being a young quarterback, and it's easy for us to go like, "Well, he could have thrown the check down. He could blah blah blah. He could." Okay, I guess I would be interested to hear his thought process on that specific play after the fact, and like, what made you throw that ball, giving all the things I just said to be true in the moment, you know? And, yeah. and those kind of things, like you have to. Sometimes you just have to break habits and change your mindset a little bit. Um, and sometimes if they call a play that doesn't work because of the personnel or the situation, like you just got to make the best of it to your yeah. point. No, I'm totally with you. Uh, now, uh, he's going to get some more interesting conditions as he's set to face the Vikings this week who are apt to bring quite a bit of pressure. I'm not sure how I feel about this because they haven't done well, uh, when there hasn't been pressure. Um, and like there's been seven guys back on defense. So I'm really interested <laughs> to see how Minnesota treats this. If they're just like, you know what? We don't even need to bring pressure in this game. So we're just going to do what is beating Green Bay every week anyway. Or if they're going to stick to their process and just be like, screw it, we're just going to bring the house. And we don't think we can, that they can do anything against that either. But either way, he's going to probably see some pressure throughout the course of this game. How does he deal with that? How does the Packers offense deal with that? And what are some of your keys to Packers Vikings this week? Well, Flores is going to, I think Flores is known to bring the heat. And this is first, you know, this is, this is, they're getting more used to this, this, uh, this yeah. defense with this personnel group. And you look at, I mean, you look at the Minnesota Vikings right now. I was doing this this morning. Okay. So they lose to Tampa. They lose to Philly. They lose to the chargers. You know, what, what are the commonalities there? They all have good quarterbacks and, and weapons deep, right? They all have like all pro receivers. Okay. We're missing one of those. <laughs> then, then they go beat Carolina who they should beat. They lose to Kansas city. Who's got the best player on the planet. They beat Chicago and they, they just beat San Francisco on a you know potentially concussed quarterback, right? With some guys missing as well. 
yeah. then they got five. They, like the Minnesota Vikings got five games right now. They're going. If you're a fan of the Vikings, you're within their organization. You're like, oh, we're going to go five and zero the next five weeks. So, if I'm Jordan Love and I'm and I'm thinking about this pressure, um, some of the things that you saw against with Brock Purdy in the Minnesota in, in the San Francisco 49ers, like a couple big things with with the Vikings is they're going to play pressure with a really soft zone or they're going to play man and they're going to show you. It's not like, you're not going to be surprised um, too often. Now they might drop guys, but I'm saying when they're up, they're up. And so what you have to be able to do is make the play needs to be made. The ball needs to be thrown when the wide receiver is like within five or 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Like it needs to be out decision. So they can't rotate. They love, especially with Harrison Smith, they love rotating the showing two going to one, showing one going to two. And I'm talking about single double safeties. Harrison Smith likes to trap the backside. He loves to look, you know, check down on the tackle. Obviously, Kittle had a big week last week. So that opens up like that opened up by on the other side a lot of times because Harrison's peeking on the wrong side of the field. So there's things there where you're playing against a veteran who's an all pro, and that matchup is going to be super interesting. But the Vikings do give you opportunities, whether it's by like the way cornerback plays leverage, whether he's playing off, but the out routes, some of the seam stuff, like the balls are there to be had. One thing that they said in that Vikings game, again, Vikings beat the San Francisco 49ers. That's a big deal. But one thing they were talking about constantly during the game was Brock Purdy's ability to kind of throw on time and and, and throw and, and trust his routes. And his first interception was because, quite frankly, Jawan Jennings ran a double move when he shouldn't have, right? Yeah. So because they're throwing on time. Jordan Love, I don't know that he throws on time. And so how does that happen? I think with this game, Andy, for me, they have to – find uh, or they have to build in checks and options for him at the line of scrimmage. Uh, one example of that is last week, McCaffrey, they bring him across the motion in motion when they got nine men up, they run a bubble. It's three on three, right? And he's one of the three. So you feel pretty good about it. And he goes for 45 and a touchdown. Yeah. Those kind of plays happen immediately. You get the ball in your playmaker's hands, you get the ball out. And, you, and it happens while everybody's still at the line of scrimmage. So you're trying to really make them pay. And everyone thinks make them pay is like, let's take a shot. It's not let's take a shot because you're going to get beat up in the backfield. It's let's get the ball in our playmaker's hands and be satisfied picking up five, picking up seven, picking up ten. And if they're able to do that, every once in a while you're going to get a Christian Watson out. I mean, he did it last year. He, he's capable of doing it. We just haven't seen it this year. Because quite frankly, we're not putting him in the position to be successful like we did at times with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and going back, uh, unfortunately, Green Bay's screen game has left a lot to be desired as well. So if you're oh, looking to use some of that as a, a counter to some of Minnesota's pressure, it's going to have to be a whole heck of a lot better this week than it has in recent weeks, to say the least. All right. Yeah, they. Last, they, they, oh, yeah, they I was just going to say that the 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 Vikings and the Niners. They kind of countered this, the screen game that was up on last, the one with Green Bay. Listen, if you double team a defensive tackle, play side on a screen, everybody out there, you're going to lose. That's just how that's how the game's played. And this is what we're talking about from like, that's not a, that's not like a John Runyon Jr. or Zach Tom problem. Like that's either being coached or being allowed. That's a, that's a, that's that problem. Um, but you saw with the pressure on both sides, actually, from, from both teams. Quick bubbles, quick screens, like the things are happening now, right? We're not waiting around. We're not doing our two and a half count. Like get the ball out in your playmaker's hands to make plays. Yeah, hopefully we can see a little bit more of that this week. Mike, before we get you out of here, one bonus question. 
Got to ask, you are back to being prime Mike Wall, the best football Mike Wall you've ever been, and Miles Garrett lines up across from you. What is your plan of attack? So I've I've actually game-planned Miles Garrett a lot. Um, so Miles Garrett is – here's what I love about Miles Garrett. Well, he, first of all, he's the best defensive player in the league. Everyone, we, I know Dallas Cowboys are a big brand, so we talk about Micah Parsons. It's not even close, guys. It's not it's even close. It's a joke. Okay. Miles um, Garrett is his, – his ability to use leverage is so great compared to his competitors that he really is a guy who is winning on – his angle of departure off the line of scrimmage, he's winning on his angle towards the, the, the tackle, and he's winning on his ability to um, go from lateral to vertical or go from inside to outside and then bend better than anybody else. So a lot of guys, if you get on their outside, if you get on their inside shoulder and push them out and extend, you'll let them run the edge. He could just flip his hips better than anybody. So he wins because people take poor footwork and they get scared. They turn their hips, their shoulders to the sideline, and give him a three-way go, and he just keeps beating you over and over and over. And the more scared you get, the worse sets you take, right? You just so people stop trusting their technique with him after like the second series. Um, if if I'm game planning for him, my game plan is you have to be the exact same guy every single set. You have to have that. You, you just be you trust that your stuff is good enough. You kick square for three. Hands inside your body profile. You have a hip hinge. You see caffeine on my shirt. You don't see ankylos on the bottom. I'm not going to give you chest to hit, and I'm going to I'm going to force you to run out of options. So after you after Miles Garrett comes up field, he's looking at me like all you see is top of the helmet, not top of the numbers and hands. I'm not giving you anything else to attack. And so now you can you can do your fake inside step outside with a chop rip underneath, but now I can get my hand on the inside hip and push push across. If he tries to rip through and come straight down, he tries to come underneath with his, his right rip, right? I can flatten it out. And then what I'm hoping is nine times out of 10 or eight times out of 10, he's coming up field and he's just going to stutter and then bull and try to wipe off late. As good as he is at the bull rush, that is the best case scenario for most tackles is if you can get him to bull rush you late because he's kind of running out of options at the top of the route, top of the set. Is there a situation where you as an offensive lineman can do everything perfect and they just win and you just tip your cap and say, there's nothing else I could have done better than that. Yeah. Um, I mean, so listen in a vacuum, if you did everything perfect, you'd never lose, but that doesn't like, that's not reality. Uh, with a guy like that, the problem is like two inch difference in where your foot is a two inch difference in where your hand is means you might lose that rep. Or right. if you don't get all your, if you don't get a good grip on him, he bats your hand away and all of a sudden, like there's so many things that can happen. And obviously if we're talking about clean pocket, quarterbacks getting rid of the ball on time, like you actually have to lose to lose. It's not one of those things where you, you know, hold the ball five seconds. Um, but yeah, you can do a lot of, th I always look at it this way. And, and I've been working with guys for a long time now. And I, I've worked with some guys that are really high level and they've played guys like Miles Garrett many times. And when they take good sets, they don't lose. And when they take bad sets, they lose. Yeah. And it's the best, it's some of the best, the best names in the business. But if they take a bad set, you're going to get beat. The Daniil Hunter beat the right tackle for a sack this last weekend. The San Francisco 49ers. Yep. The right tackle set was so poor, it makes my skin crawl. 
I mean, he ju- he just jumps out. You're going, this guy's leading the league in sacks, and you're going to try to short. He's 265 and runs a 4-6, and you're fat and run a 5-6, and you're going to try to jump up at him? I mean, it it makes – we the way that we teach – some of these guys are teaching things makes absolutely no sense. And, I mean, I I guess it helps guys that do it right look better and separate themselves – but some of the stuff you're like, man, stop giving away free reps, to, especially to guys like Daniil Hunter or Miles Garrett, because there's some really, really talented athletes out there. There really are. There are some really, I mean, it is a golden age of some of the really fun pass rushers in the league with Garrett and Watt and Parsons and Aaron Donald and so many other ones. It's really fun to watch across the league. And the teams that have some of the Zach Martins and Trent Williams, how good was it? Was it, uh, was, it was Trent Williams versus Miles Garrett a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, um, and if you watch that game, like, the, the San Francisco 49ers offense is so much fun for offensive linemen because, like, there's not that many times he has to block him for very long. And Brock Purdy yeah. is the three-step get-rid-of-the-ball guy. But even with that game, and Trent is amazing, right? But Trent's technique's not amazing. Trent's an amazing – Trent's a Larry Allen. You know, he's, he's an amazing athlete. So he does a lot of stuff. He gets away with stuff that you wouldn't believe. I've got a, I've got a, a film role of Trent versus Vaughn Miller from, like, two years ago when he was playing for the Rams – and there's like 26 pass sets and there's, you know, Trent does his deep set 20 times wins every time. No problem. He flat sets four or five times. He loses every single set. Like he turns his body. It's, it's Trent Williams and the ball gets out. He's not giving up sacks, all of that. But if you're watching it from my perspective, it's like, man, you, you just got beat. You just got beat. You just got opened up and all these things. And it's just because it's It doesn't matter how good you are. If your feet ain't right, you're not going to win. It's crazy. It's really a perfect way to sum things up full circle of what what is the Packers issue up front footwork and what are the best of the best doing good footwork? What are the not one or ones that are struggling doing not great footwork? even the best like Trent Williams, if his footwork struggling, even he can get beat uh, by players that, uh, you know, even not Miles Garrett level um, if he doesn't have the right footwork. So a great way to kind of wrap things up. Mike, you are the absolute best. Thanks so much for doing this every single week. Always, always, always. Enjoy these conversations. Always learn something from these conversations. Tell everyone where we can find all of your other amazing work. Yeah, I just came out with our Vikings preview uh, today on the Process to Perform channel on YouTube. So please check that out. Uh, like, give me comments, all that kind of stuff. Uh, MikeWall68 on Twitter, Process to Perform on Instagram. And uh, Andy, thanks a lot, man. Fun talking to you. Yeah, I always appreciate it, Mike. Go follow him on Twitter at MikeWall68. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.